In Session with Dr. Farid Polak. Good evening and welcome to In Session with Dr. Fadi Talakwi. I'm your host, Dr. Fadi Talakwi, and I'll be with you for the next hour here on Radio Hamra. Studio number to call in, 310-441-0555. I'm a licensed clinical psychologist, so you can call in with any questions related to clinical psychology, including any emotional or psychological issues, parenting issues, and relationship issues as well. You can also follow me on Twitter or Instagram or like my page on Facebook to get updates on the show or suggest topics for the program. And the shows are uploaded at the end of each week to my SoundCloud page and free podcast on iTunes. Again, studio number 3104410555. Before I do the summary for the book of the past week, wanted to announce the book for this coming week, uh, which I'll announce on next Wednesday's show due to the Labor Day holiday. I won't have a live program on Monday, so it'll be on Wednesday. The name of the book is How Emotions Are Made by Lisa Feldman Barrett. How Emotions Are Made, The Secret Life of the Brain. Uh, And I started the book today and it really seems very, very interesting. Um, And it's a new book. It was just published this year, 2017. It has a lot of new neuroscientific uh, research looking at the brain and how emotions are made. And I'll get more into that, why the title is that. So I hope you'll join me in reading this one. A little bit more technical, but from what I read so far, it's written in a way that actually is very um, readable for a layperson, someone who's not familiar with uh, neurobiology. Um, So I hope you will check that out. How Emotions Are Made by Lisa Feldman Barrett. I'll post a picture of that soon uh, on my social media so you can take a look. But the book for this past week is a classic in the self-help literature, Codependent No More by Melody Beatty. Codependent No More. Um, And when she wrote this book back in the 80s, uh, she talked actually a bit about the history of this term codependent or codependency and uh, it wasn't really known by many people. She actually mentions how when she was trying to write the original manuscript, the computer kept telling her she was spelling the word wrong, so it wasn't accepted as a real word or a correctly spelled word, but now it is, um, showing that it actually has become much more part of the lexicon or word that people are familiar with, and it's also one of those words that people throw around. Um, You're being codependent, or he or she is codependent, um, which is true of lots of psychological terms that we use, but often we're not exactly sure what they mean. And to be honest, the word codependent is not an easy one to define. She describes it in a lot of ways. She shares lots of examples and she tries uh, to define it and she does come up with her own definition, but she herself mentions that it's not easy to define this word and exactly what it means because it looks very different um, or can look very different and shows up in very different ways. So one way she defines it or her own definition that she gives is that codependency or a codependent person is one who has let another person's behavior affect him or her and who is obsessed with controlling that person's behavior. So a codependent person, the way that term evolved originally was that it was partners of individuals suffering from alcoholism. So they started to find that Um, Of course, alcoholics had some of their own characteristics, but that their partners tended to have 
a certain cluster of traits or certain dynamics in the relationships they created with the addicted partner that started to emerge. And that's where this term uh, developed, codependent. So the individual's dependent on alcohol or drugs, then there's a, a codependency that develops with their partner. And as she says, it's someone who becomes obsessed with controlling that person's behavior and that starts to affect him or her. Now, codependency is one of those things like, um, let's say, low self-esteem or fears of intimacy that virtually everyone has to a degree, but it depends on how much we have them or are dealing with that. All of us can be codependent uh, in certain situations or a certain degree, but people who find that that's their pattern of relating and living, that's when it really starts to become a problem. Because there is a big question, one that she talks about throughout the book, which is that the real goal for someone who is codependent is to begin to live your own life, living your own life, which sounds very simple, but what does that mean? Because as she mentions, living your own life doesn't mean you stop caring for anyone else or doing anything for anyone else, because you still have a responsibility to meet your roles. For example, if you're a parent, you still have to be responsible to your children in an appropriate way. And that's where it can start to get tricky. Or if you're a spouse, of course, you care for your partner and you're there for them to a degree. But when that becomes too much, that's the problem. So I think that's one of the big issues with something like codependency is, one, it's hard to really explain what it might be. But also, it's hard to know, especially for someone who is codependent, when our behavior is healthy and helping, or are we actually part of the problem? Are we actually enabling the person to continue with their addiction? And it doesn't have to just be addiction. It can be other compulsive behaviors like gambling, sex addiction, uh, overeating, undereating, uh, even a, a child who's having significant behavioral problems you can create a codependent relationship with. Um, but we have to look at, are we helping them or are we actually somehow enabling them or contributing to the problem or being part of the problem itself? She lists a bunch of characteristics of individuals who that codependents tend to have, and it's a long list. Um, but some that stand out, one that's important for me is low self-worth. And a person with characteristically codependent relationships who enters these relationships tends not to value themselves very much. And as a result, one thing they feel is that if they enter relationships where they're rescuing or helping another person then now they have enough value to then be valuable enough to stay in relationships. I get my value for, from being there for you, from saving you, from taking care of you, from being repeatedly hurt by you. In some ways that evens the score because I don't see myself as good enough, as important enough, or as valuable enough to be treated well and to be in a healthy and happy relationship. So because of a feeling of low self-worth, we find ourselves in these types of relationships where we get hurt, we get taken advantage of, lied to, um, and treated poorly. And although we give and give and give, we tell ourselves we feel good about it, we like the way it feels, this is how the relationship should go, but we don't feel good. And um, people experience anger over time, something that she talks about that people with codependency have a lot of. You start to resent people, and this could be in romantic relationships or friendships, and it doesn't have to be even just looking at codependency, but if you're someone 
who is constantly giving, even to friends, and you might tell yourself it's because I'm so loving and caring, you might not realize that it's actually an expression of something unhealthy. There's a level of codependency there, but that you are trying to make up or compensate for your feeling of low self-worth. And over time, you start to resent your friends because I'm doing so much for you, you're not doing it back, even though you're the one that set things up that way. You're the one that created the relationship where you were giving more than you were receiving. But over time, you start to become angry. You build up resentment. And this is why it's so important, as she repeats uh, throughout the book in different ways and also chapters devoted to that, but you need to live your own life, something that can be very hard for someone who has codependency. And actually what they start to experience is they get so obsessed with the other person's problem and behavior and solving it and fixing it becomes their obsession that they start to neglect themselves and their own problems and issues. And in some ways, actually focusing on someone else's problems is a form of a defense. I don't have to look at my own issues, the own ways that my life is falling apart or that I'm not meeting my own needs or responsibilities because I'm so focused and obsessed with the other person's problem. In some ways, it can almost serve as an excuse. Well, I can, of course, take care of myself or I have to quit my job or stop going to school or neglect my body physically in hygiene or in health because I have to take care of this person's bigger problem, which becomes all-encompassing. And as she says, we have to start to learn that we need to do less for that person and to start taking care of ourselves. Actually, what sometimes happens is when a person living with someone who has an addiction, if that person starts to become sober, although the other person thinks, well, this is what I've been asking for, I should be so happy, they find that they're not happy at all because the pattern of the relationship they had created this oddly comfortable comfort zone where they weren't really happy, but somehow they felt like things were right in this way of them rescuing and saving the other person. But now they're sober and the person almost can feel useless or wonder what's wrong with them if they're not happy now. But the truth was they were never happy to begin with, and the other person's problem wasn't the only thing going on in their life that was an issue. They need to focus on themselves. So uh, Melody Beatty herself, as she um, explains, is not a therapist or an expert, but she talks about her own experiences both with addiction but also being codependent, and throughout the book shares her own experiences and lots of stories and anecdotes of people dealing with codependency, how it can look different, but also how they began to work on overcoming it or working to become less codependent and different aspects of that. For example, she talks about feeling your feelings, something very important. Um, A codependent person can very easily avoid what they're feeling about their own life by focusing on someone else, or they can often not want to feel their own feelings because they feel it might create a confrontation or hurt someone else. So someone who's codependent is very good at masking their own feelings to make sure other people don't get offended, other people still like them, or they don't cause any harm or become a burden. Um, Something also I think very interesting she talks about in the book is the Karpman drama triangle. Now, this is something that she says codependents find themselves in this triangle where at first they are the rescuer. That's one of the three parts of the triangle. So here they're trying to help the person, save them. The person has this big issue and they're going to come in and swoop in and be 
the hero and save the person. So here they are the rescuer. But then they can become the persecutor where they start to attack the addict or the other individual. Why do you do these things? I can't believe you keep doing this. Tell me what you were doing. And now they become this oppressive and angry person. So this is where the anger starts to show. And after that, they become the victim. Now they feel hopeless, helpless, um, victimized. I can't believe you did this to me. How many times are you going to hurt me in this way? And now they become the weak person who has been victimized. And then the triangle where the cycle can continue again, where next time the person has this slip up in their addiction, they become the rescuer again. So this uh, Karpman drama triangle, which um, was developed by someone, uh, Stephen Karpman, who studied under Eric Byrne, who was the father of transactional analysis. Um, this uh, helps explain something that we also see in people who have codependency. So the book is a really good book, I think, for anyone to read. She writes it very much in a conversational type of way. Um, and without a lot of technical jargon, she very clearly says that she's a big fan of the 12-step programs. And actually, when she first wrote this book, there wasn't a um, CODA or codependency 12-step program. Um, but since then, there now is one, and it's very big and thriving, and people go to uh, meetings to help themselves with their codependency, which is great. Um, I had people who've called in the show and actually said they're going to those meetings. I think that's wonderful. So she talks about the 12-step programs, um, which can be very helpful for addiction, but not necessarily for everyone. She says that um, she thinks it's very helpful for people dealing with addiction and goes through the 12 steps. So if you've ever been curious about the 12 steps, she states uh, all 12 of them and then writes a bit about them in her own words or her own opinion about them. Um, and so that's also in the book, which you can which you can see. Uh, but the book does a, a good job of explaining how one can start the process of living their own life, of recognizing it's not their responsibility to solve anyone else's problems, that being a martyr doesn't help anyone, and that everyone's responsibility is to take care of themselves. And also, sometimes we think we have to save someone else, that they can't take care of themselves, but actually we realize that if we give them the space and if we give them the responsibility, they will step up and they actually can take care of themselves much better than we actually think. We think we have to save them, although we also tell ourselves that because it allows us to become needed, um, but they don't need us. They can survive just on their own. And what we need to do is take care of us. And so I think many of us can relate to that feeling that we're not living our own life for ourselves. We think we're living it for other people. And we also have to be ready that when you stop doing things for other people, when you stop doing those behaviors, initially they're not going to like it. When people are used to using you, they're not going to like when you stop allowing them to use you. So you have to be ready for that pushback, that it's not going to be easy to make that change and to um, create change in the dynamics of the relationship that you have. People who are using you don't want you to change. They want you to stay the same. But it's up to you to begin taking care of yourself and seeing who's still there when you take care of yourself and they begin to take care of themselves. If not, the relationship is not really a relationship and won't work. Uh, so if you haven't read it already, Codependent No More is a classic by Melody Beatty in the self-help field. Um, a little bit, uh, if you haven't read it before, I'd highly recommend it. And the book for this week is How Emotions Are Made. 
by Lisa Feldman Barrett. All right, we've reached our first commercial break. Studio number 3104410555. You're listening to In Session with Dr. Fatty Delock. We will be right back. back let's go to a caller radio hamra you're on the air yes hi doctor hi how are you good thank you good. thank you for taking my call of course thanks for calling yes dr Holakui. i am calling because i uh was in a relationship that ended last november mm-hmm. but i still don't seem to have gotten over it okay I'm wondering if you can help me with that. Okay, well, let's let's learn a little bit more about you and about the relationship. Um, how, how old are you? I am 52. 52, and how old was the person you were dating? 53. 53, okay, and how long were you guys dating? One year. One year, okay. And were you guys living in the same city? Yes. Okay, so you guys were in the same city. And um, have either of you been married before? Yes, both of us have been married before. Okay, any children? He has two and I have two. Okay, how old are the kids? Uh, Mine are 20 and 28, Mm -hmm. and his are 19 and 21. Okay. All right. So tell me about this relationship. You said it lasted about a year. What were you looking for in the relationship? Were you looking to get married? I was looking to get married, and that's I made that clear from the beginning. I told him that, that this, if this is something that he's not sure about, if it's something that, you know, if he doesn't want to get into a serious relationship, then we shouldn't start anything at all. And he said, no, 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 I'm looking for a serious relationship. So it was geared towards, uh, you know, becoming more serious. Okay. And so then what, what happened? Well, everything was going really well for a whole year, and I was madly in love, and he treated me really well, so I had no clue. I got blindsided when he told me that at first he started with, I need a break. You know, it was a week break, then two weeks, then it was a month, and it was like, you know, I have, I'm too busy uh, with life, and I don't have time for a relationship, so... I was really blindsided. Was there, what was going on in his life that he was saying he's too busy? Well, I do know that he had a full-time job and he took on another full-time job. So, uh, and then he has other issues in his life. Like one of the children are, um, is is handicapped. So, Hmm. um, I guess he had to take more responsibility. I was told that he had to take more responsibility with, with you know, the adult child that was handicapped. Mm-hmm. But uh, either way, the whole year that I was with him, I, you know, he had, he still had the son, you know. Um, he had the time. I don't know if the second job really is the reason. Okay. Was he financially struggling? No. Okay, so why did he take a second job? I have no idea. To this day, he still has a second job. Okay, uh, what was I his first? What was his first job? Uh, his first job is uh, 
he is a sales rep that's doing really well in his job. Okay. So that part's a little bit confusing why someone who doesn't need the money would get a second job, especially when they're saying they need time to take care of their son. Exactly. Um, okay. So it's a little bit strange. So for you, everything was going well for about a year, and then he all for you, it was all of a sudden for you the break? Yes. What reasons did he give well, for the break? Was, well, he did at six months. When we were at six months, he said that he needs a break, and I told him, you know, if you don't have time for it, he, he used the same excuse. I said, if you don't have time for me, let's just end it. You know, uh, break doesn't mean anything. Let's just end it clean. Mm-hmm. And at that point, I wasn't emotionally invested as much as I was at a year's point. Mm-hmm. But he said, no, 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 let's keep going. So we kept going for another six months, and then he decided, you know, he needed a permanent break. Okay. Now, when he said, when he asked for the break, he said it was because he needed more time? Like he didn't have enough time for the no, relationship? I mean, he said he needed a week break. Then it, the week became two weeks. Two right, weeks, but what did he say? Break. What did he say he needed a break for? Like what was, some, usually people are either not sure about the relationship. Sometimes actually in the early stages of relationship, people start to get uh, very close. And as those walls of our, our individual individuality start to come down, it can be scary and overwhelming. And a, a break can actually not, it's not always a bad thing. Somebody's actually a very good thing. But I'm wondering, I, what did he say? I mean, for someone to well, say, I want I'm a break. Yeah. because at, when it got to be a year, then I started asking, well, when will I get to meet your family? Because I never met any of his. He met all of my family. He met my children. He met my friends and my coworkers, but I never met any of his side hmm. of the family or friends. And I kept, and I started asking, you know, we've been together for a year, so am I going to get to meet your friends and family? And I think at that point, that's when, you know, I don't know if that's the reason. Well, it might be, but... That the, scared him? It may, it's, it's possible, but even when you say that scared him, the way you're describing it, it seems like he didn't want to get very close to you or anyone. I, I wouldn't take it personally, but we it seems... We were very close. We, well, I mean, you're very close in how maybe when you're spending time, but as far as making you a part of his life and having you meet his friends and family, that's that's what I mean. Yeah, I never got to meet his friends and family, but yeah, but as far as... Being co- I mean, yeah, that would have been the next step. That would have yeah. been the next step. Well, yeah, so by close, uh, you know, you guys could have spent a lot of time together, been very uh, physically close, emotionally close, but there seems to be somewhere where he was drawing a very strong line. Yeah, he would spend time with my children. He would spend time with my family. Would you spend time with his children? No, I had never even met his children. Hmm. Even the the one that was handicapped, he never... Correct. I know he... he I only found out about the one that's handicapped. I knew about him, but it, it was from somebody else and not from him. He hmm. he told me about the handicapped child the day that he said he needs a break. So, six months into the relationship? No, no, no. A year into the relationship. A year? Because you said you asked for a break once at six months. Yeah. But so, yeah, it was the second time that he okay. told me about well, the child. This is, you know, this is what I mean by him not wanting to get close. You know, you guys might have spent a lot of time together, but he wasn't really telling you about himself and his life. Yes. Well, he would tell me what he wanted to tell me. Right. Well, that's my point of not wanting to get close. You know, he wanted to just keep this facade and tell you about the things he thought 
maybe I was assuming that he he was afraid that he might scare me off, you know, about the handicapped child. Maybe, but I mean, a year is um, that's that's pretty that's significant for a year for him not to tell you to me is I get the feeling. Are you sure he wanted something serious? Like he wanted to get married again? Well, I like I said, I made it very clear from the beginning that I am not. You know, just looking for a boyfriend. If, if that's uh-huh. all he's looking for, then he should move on and not, you know. Right. You've made your side clear, but I'm not sure. Did he make his side clear? Well, I assume if he accepted my my condition that he, you know, that he agreed with me. Okay, but he never he never explicitly told you what he wanted. Um, no, but we we talked a lot about what we were going how what we were gonna do in the future. We talked about our retirement. We talked about hmm. where we're gonna live, how we're gonna live. Um, and so you you knew he had two children. I'm sorry. You did you know he had two children? Yes. Okay. Yes, he had told me about the two children. I had seen pictures. I had, you know. He just never, I mean, he told me a lot about the one that wasn't in handicap. I knew a lot about mm-hmm. him, uh, the younger one. Mm-hmm. But the older one, he didn't say much. And since I already knew what, what's going on from somebody else I'd heard it, I didn't, pers- I didn't say anything. I didn't qu- ask questions. I didn't, I said in time, whenever he's ready, he'll tell me himself. Hmm. And so that was when he decided that he wanted a permanent break. When you, when he, but that's when he told you, you didn't confront him. He just opened up to you. Right. He opened okay. up to me. That's when he, well, he and I'll be honest. I mean, even I, I said the word open up, but it almost sounds like he was looking for an excuse. Exactly. Um, it's a, you exactly. know, I get the feeling yeah. the, way, the way you're describing him that like he didn't want to get close and that maybe you were missing that he wasn't letting you in as much as you thought he was. No, I know that he wasn't letting me. Okay. In. And then I, I figured in time he would open, but right, I but I was wrong. Yeah, but you know, one one year's a long time to be waiting for someone to open up. That's what I'm wondering that you were um, able to allow that one year. Because as much as you're saying we talked about future, but it seems like he wasn't following through by making you a part of his life, like introducing you to his friends and family. He and, always talked about it, how he was going to introduce and, you know, meet right. with family, but it never happened. Yeah, but I mean, that's the, the talking about it is just talking and then not following through is as if he's trying to trick you or, you know, just make you... Yeah pacify you make you feel okay he had bad intentions i don't think he well i'm not saying necessarily bad intentions yeah uh, but i'm saying it was to trick me no trick is a strong word you're right maybe by trick i mean he i think he couldn't give you what you wanted but he didn't want to end the relationship so he was just telling you what you wanted to hear sometimes not in a maybe not necessarily in a manipulative way but just Mm -hmm. to make things okay to kind of make you feel okay but it's my issue is you know what he was thinking and doing. We don't we won't really know, and I'm sure some of what's making it hard for you to get over it is trying to figure out what he was thinking. But we do want to really look at what you were thinking and the fact that you were willing to accept 
someone who wasn't really giving you all of themselves? Because I really didn't, well, I, I didn't want to complicate the relationship by getting involved, the families involved or getting involved in families. I just, my thinking was, you know, when, when family gets involved and things get complicated, when friends get involved and things get complicated, so let it be, if it's not broken, you know, let's not fix it. And it didn't well, seem broken. The relationship seemed to be going fine, well, as far as I was concerned. Yeah, but when we talk about getting family involved, um, definitely not like the very, very beginning, but after a while, you know, you want to make your partner a, a part of your life. So it's not about getting them involved as in tell them to give you their input on the relationship and get involved in, in that kind of way, but it would be strange if you don't spend any time with each other's friends and family. Right. You know what I mean? So... I almost get the sense you didn't want to bring it up because you were afraid it would end the relationship if you pushed too hard. No. No. Okay. And, and like I said, up to the six-month part, I hadn't invested emotionally. I was very guarded and I hadn't invested emotionally. I was, you know, still being cautious. But once the six months came and then I gave him the ultimatum, mm -hmm. hey, you know, if you don't have time, let's end it. And he decided not to, and I was like, okay, I was sure of myself, so I started investing emotionally mm -hmm. in it, and I was looking at this person as my future husband, and I, and I had looked a lot, for a long time, mm -hmm. and, you know... When did you get divorced? How many years ago? Oh, 14 years ago. And how about him? Two years ago. Oh, okay. That can be a big issue do you know much about the divorce uh i'm sure it was it had the the cause of the child becoming handicapped was an accident so mm. i think that put a lot of strain on their relationship i see um so two years ago so just a year before you met him he had got divorced or less than that actually when i met no when i met him he said two years so oh, okay so it, it would have been by now. Okay. The, yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. So that, that you know, looking at that, maybe he, although I think he didn't give you, a, by not giving you an answer about what he wanted in a way that was his way of telling you he didn't want what you want, if you ask me. Um, because if you say, I want marriage, someone says, yes, I'm also looking for marriage. But if they say, I want marriage and the person says, yes, let's, okay, let's go to dinner next week. They're avoiding giving you their No, he said answer. he wants marriage. Very clearly? He, very clearly. He okay. Says he wants marriage. Okay. Well, he, you know, he being how cl soon he'd gone out of a relationship, maybe he, he wasn't as sure as he thought he was, and maybe he was a little bit afraid to enter a relationship. That's what I'm thinking. Yeah. yeah, which is possible, and we can't make someone unafraid in that way. Now, you know, I want to get a little bit more into the situation because I also want to hear about what's been happening after since you said you haven't been able to get over it so we might talk a bit more about that and then looking at w what's uh keeping you stuck from that process well, I, let's I talk after the break questions. we'll talk yeah we'll talk after okay. the break about that thanks for calling okay um you're listening to in session with dr fatty delock we will be right back Welcome back. Let's go back to our caller. Radio Hamra, are you there? Yes, hi, Doctor. Okay. So we're talking a bit about the relationship. Um, 
we can maybe talk about the breakup and how you've been feeling because I want to make sure we have enough time to get to that too. You said you were starting to get obsessed or you've been feeling I obsessed. I was devastated. Yeah. I was in love. Mm. And I was, I was in my mind building a life with this person. And like I said, I've been single for 12, 13 years and I had looked and I was pretty sure that this is it and that was devastating. Mm-hmm. Well, breakups uh, are very very painful and they can be devastating um you know i always say that when people talk about breakups we think about the memories that we have with them but usually when you have a breakup you also have all these future memories or plans and dreams you've made with the person in your head we have to be careful about them sometimes people get ahead of themselves but usually that's something that's going on too and it seems like you had that in your situation where you were planning your life with him Um, and what things were going to be like with him. At the same time, as I'm saying that, I still do feel that he was not giving you all of himself, uh, and that's something that concerns me, that you were seeing him in that way when I feel from what you're telling me he was not going to give you, he wasn't giving you all of himself yet. But so the breakup happened, and it seems that you are unsure as to the why, because he didn't give you much reasoning as to why. Exactly, I became obsessed with trying to figure out why... Uh, what went wrong, trying to get him back. Um, I really, I mean, I'm not this, I'm a very strong person. If somebody ever told me they don't want to be with me, I would say, you know, make sure the door doesn't hit you in the back. Mm-hmm. You know, just hit the road. And then, but this was, I was obsessed about trying to figure out what, what happened, if I can change his mind. I mean, for the past 10 months, I've been trying. Are you are you and still contacting him? I talked to him two days ago, three days ago, but yesterday I told him, you know, it's, I, I'm tired. I'm really tired of trying. But I'll say that, and then again after a while, the, the most I have lasted has been two weeks without contacting mm-hmm. him, or you know, I, I I don't know why I can't move on. Yeah, almost sounds like a almost. It sounds like a drug addiction, the way you describe exactly. it. Exactly. Um, and you know that's it, it's hard to break a habit and an addiction. But we do want to try to understand the why. Why is it become that for you? And you're exactly. saying usually if someone was breaking up or a relationship was ending, you had no issues moving on. What do you think is the difference with him? I was in love. I had never. I was always guarded. I wouldn't. You know, I had never told anybody else that I loved them, even my ex-husband of 16 years. You never said I love you to your ex-husband? Never did, no. Because I I didn't really love him. Was it an arranged marriage? No. It was a, you know, it was a, it was the next stage in life, you know. Now I've done this, I've done this, I've done this, so let me just give me, you know, when he asked, I, at first I said no for a long time, but then he was, persistent mm-hmm. and it lasted 16 years but so why do you think you stayed with someone you didn't love for 16 years uh, because I had made a commitment and I once I make a commitment I, I try very hard but your commitment was to love him and you, you didn't love him I did not love him and I had two children with him so those 
you know, the commitment and the two children were the reason. And it wasn't a bad marriage. It just didn't have... I cared about him. I just didn't love him. Well, when you say it wasn't a bad marriage, my guess is by that you mean that it wasn't, like, ugly. It wasn't bad Correct. fights. But it seems like Correct. you guys just weren't that close. Correct. So that's So it's kind of like there's the... The lack of good that makes it a bad marriage, and sometimes there's the presence of bad. You had the lack of good as far as a really good connection. I'm not saying there was nothing there, but you weren't very close with them, but still you were able to tolerate tolerate that. Exactly. Your own parents, what was your relationship like with them? What was childhood like for I you? am still to this day very close to my parents. Okay. Um, they are still married. We're very, very close. And they I were wish I close. Had their marriage. They're still. They have a good marriage. I'm sorry. They have a good marriage and had a good marriage. Very good marriage. I, I envy them. Okay, that's surprising that you that you chose to be in an uh, I don't want to say unhappy marriage, but an unsatisfying marriage. If they well, were so happy. I was, I was very young, and and I just you know very optimistic but it just it just never materialized the love never you know came and what about this man that you were dating do you think made you fall in love with him what what did oh, you love was, about him i had a list of things i was looking for a guy and he fit the list okay let's hear so, some of those as far as uh very educated um, very smart, uh, very kind, very um, available. He would well, make um, time. Uh, but that sounds like a strange one. Why? Well, because he seems like he wasn't very available. And we, I saw him almost every day of the week. Okay. So. But he didn't make his life available to you. I mean, he was there. He, he spent time with you, but I, I just feel but, like he kept himself yeah, so guarded from you. Yeah, but he wasn't making himself available to them either because he was spending most of his time with me. That's what was strange that he told me he has to take care of his son because for a whole year he didn't. Yeah, it smells a little bit fishy, to be honest with you, well, unless, it, uh, unless no, his son's health know, changed. Actually, actually, I do get it because the way it was, he was... Taking care, he was living with the younger son, and the ex-wife was living with the older son. And then once the younger son went off to college, then I guess the wife, you know, said, "Now you have to take care of the older one." So okay. I can see that where it fits. Okay. But. But it just seems like he still didn't communicate it so clearly to you what was going on, which is a little right. strange. Right. You know, he it just. That if you guys had such a good relate close relationship, I'm surprised he was not more clear with you. In general, was he a good communicator? Would he communicate he with you? He was a very good communicator. Okay. He didn't hold back. He was very confident, very well-spoken, uh, could hold a conversation. Well, that's that's not... By good communicator, I don't mean like a good speaker. No, because no, you can very no, eloquently we, be a bad talked. communicator. We talked. Okay. But about the things, like when you would talk about what's happening with our future, what would he say? Or would you bring that up? Well, we talked about how we were going to, you know, travel, where we are going to go travel, where but, we would... Yeah, but it sounds... Did you guys do those things? We did not. 
So it sounds like it was kind of a lot of that was in fantasy. Well, maybe it was his, yeah. It was, I mean, you know, we're going to do this, we're going to go do these things together, but then we don't do any of them. Mm-hmm. It seems like a lot of the relationship was imaginary or some kind of future that was promised but never materializing that right. you were holding on to. Right. Maybe in your mind you guys were traveling I, the French I Riviera mean, together. I was so in love that I didn't really care. I didn't care if we went anywhere or if we didn't go anywhere. I didn't. I just wanted to be with him. Hmm. Well, I didn't. You know, that sounds very sweet, and I don't want to undermine that part, but it, mm-hmm. it does seem like it wasn't just the vacations that he was talking to you about, but it wasn't happening. I still just feel like, and I also think when people, couples, uh, you know, they start dating, at the beginning, it's good to spend time alone at the very beginning, but after a short while, you should start seeing each other with each other's friends, if family is part of the picture, to see what it, you also get to learn about the person more, but also see how you interact in different scenarios. I get the feeling you guys had this kind of uh, love affair in a bubble, you know, you guys would just right. spend time, the two of you, and create... Oh, no, he would spend time with my friends and my okay. family. Okay. I just never met him. Yeah, which is, uh, which is strange, too, because I know you're saying he didn't have time for them either, but then why wouldn't you have all your friends get together, even in small groups? Exactly. There seems to be something that he was keeping, either keeping you away from, whether it was his life or himself at some level. Um, you know, he just got divorced a little bit before he met you two years maybe he's i don't know if he was ever ready to get married again or he wants to Mm -hmm. now you know getting back to how you're doing now Mm -hmm. with the breakup you said you're you're obsessed unfortunately we can never figure out exactly why someone did something unless they want to tell us even still we can't know for sure but especially when they don't tell us which he didn't give you a lot to work with there's no figuring it out. And unfortunately, when most people try to figure out something like this, somewhere along the lines, we start to take it personally. Right. Uh, have you I done have that? Okay. So what do you tell yourself? What's the conclusions you've come to? You know what? I don't, I, I don't think it's something I've done. I, okay. I just know that I don't care about any... I'm not thinking about any other relationships. Like, I'm done. <laughs> Hmm. Because you've been so hurt by this? Yes. And that's not necessarily a testament to how good your love with him is, but that the hurt was so strong. Um, and I, it makes you wonder that you're with your husband, who you said you're, you know, ex-husband now, and you weren't really in love. Maybe you were so afraid to let your guard down. Even with him, you said the first six months you didn't feel much. Then he maybe gave you a... He redoubled his commitment by saying, no, I don't want us to break up. And you let your guard down and it exactly. was too much. Maybe you had never done that before. Exactly. Um, it, I have. Yeah. It doesn't necessarily mean your love with him was that significant, but that your risk of being vulnerable um, created a feeling that you had never experienced before. You're right. Exactly. That's exactly what happened. And I would actually hope that the lesson you learned from that is that I would want to have that kind of relationship again with someone who is more available. I know you said he was available. I don't just mean time-wise, but to really incorporate you into his whole life and to create a life together, not just talk about the life we can one day create. I almost get the feeling he was too afraid to do all those things he was telling you about, but it was very safe to dream about them with you and talk about how nice it would be. Right. The what if. 
But the good news is you can actually have that with someone who is ready and wants to have it too. Um, well, first things first. I'm yes. trying to get over. I'm, of I'm course. trying to not to go back. I'm, this is like I communicated with him two days ago. I want to stop. I yeah. want to stop sending text messages. I want to stop calling him. I want to stop well, seeing yeah. him. What I does he? Do, when you talk to him, you say, "Let's get back together." No, we'll talk, and I'll say, "Can we see each other?" And then we've seen each other like two or three times in the past ten months. But mm-hmm. we'll just talk. We'll talk about family, how his family's doing, how his, my my family's doing, and he's very nice, very polite. He's mm-hmm. never been impolite, never been not nice. And that's probably the problem, you know. Okay. Well, yeah, that's, you know, and I I do think it seems like he's, it can be hard to give up on that dream, but he doesn't seem like he wants the relationship, which I'm sure is very, very painful. But all you're doing is prolonging your pain. We, We used the addiction analogy before. It's like you keep taking small doses of the drug, keeping you addicted and not allowing you to move on. Right. And. The only the only way out of this is to to create that clear break and separation. And how do I do that? Well, you have to no longer reach out to him, even if it involves removing his number from your phone, all other ways of communicating with him, having your friends help you with it. I mean, really, it's like kicking an old habit or an addiction. It's not going to be easy. Right. Um, you know, we've only scratched the surface as to what it really means to you or what is causing you to feel this way about him. And it's not uncommon. People can get this way, but the obsession you have that it has to be him. I think you, you created a dream life with him that wasn't fully actualized. I'm sure you enjoyed your time with him, but he wasn't giving you everything you wanted. And he also, on top of that, is saying he doesn't want to be with you, not necessarily personally you, but he can't give you what you want. And it's going to be up to you to, to hear him when he says that. And right. And, and take care of yourself. And like I said, maybe this was your first risk of really allowing your guard down, becoming vulnerable, allowing yourself to love someone and let them love you. But the good news is that means that you can do it again. You're, you're hurting still, but the hurt will only start to go away if you let go of him. The more you cling to him, it's like you're still holding the knife that's hurting you. You're still squeezing it. If you don't let it go, you can never heal. And the only way you're going to let go is if you recognize it's going to be best for me although it won't feel right the addict the first day the addict tries to stop smoking that next day the best feeling for them is to smoke again and for you right now is to text him again or to talk to him again and you have to recognize that you have to go through that pain of separation of that withdrawal feeling Um, that's the only way you're going to get past it and if i were you i'd also want to get deeper if you haven't been to therapy this is a great reason to go and really try to understand this because i'm sure it means more than just about this breakup, what's happening to you. So I'd really All recommend right. that if you haven't already. I do have to wrap up the show. I do appreciate you calling in and, and wish you the best. And if you want to call back, Thanks. please do. Tell us how it's going, okay? Thank you so much, Doctor. Nice talking to you. Have a good night. Nice talking to you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right. You've been listening to In Session with Dr. Fadir Lockwe. Thank you to the callers and the listeners and also Amir here in the studio. Hope you have a wonderful night. Mm-hmm.